It's time for the Daily Review, a podcast dedicated to reviews and discussion of TV, movies, and books. Look for us at Daily Review on Facebook and Twitter and dailyreview.com on the web. That's D-A-L-E-Y review.com. This is Paul Daly, and I'm here with my wife, Caroline. Hey, guys. And her brother, Adam. Howdy. And we're here to talk about the fifth episode of HBO's Westworld. This one is called Contrapasso. So before we get started on this episode, I wanted to address this concept of a dual timeline. We have a couple of listeners, but most especially our friend Chris, who wants us to desperately talk about the dual timeline. I want to address my stance on it real quick. For me, why we haven't talked about it so far, because I felt like it was too early. Not that I don't believe it, not that I don't think there's lots of evidence already coming through, but... I really felt like it was a spoiler type situation. I really wanted listeners and watchers to have a chance to watch the show and kind of figure it out for themselves a little bit before we just kind of threw it in their faces at episode one. What makes the nonlinear storytelling or storytelling that has that twist really satisfying is that moment when the light goes off and you've solved it for yourself and you have that satisfying, oh, that's how it was, you know, and makes you want to go back and watch the whole thing over again, like... In the Sixth Sense or the Star Wars or the Prestige or movies like that. Shallow Grave. You can get that same kind of feeling, but it's degraded when someone else tells you it's coming. (laughs) Yeah, I just felt like in, in the real estate world, we have a saying, don't unwrap the package. Basically, like don't tell them everything right up front. And weirdly, we found out that HBO did that. A couple days before... The release of the first episode to the wide audience, I don't know about the reviewing audience, but the wide audience, they tweeted that even the logos in Westworld deserve a deeper look. And that was all the way back as September 30th, which was before the episodes even came out. We know the critics got episodes one through four. And so it's clear by the time you get to four that there's got to be something going on with a dual timeline. But I feel like it's super unfair if you were one of those people who already saw it or for whatever reason, HBO decided to put out this little nugget and kind of tease you or push you to look for something that I really would have rathered it happen organically. So Chris and for all our listeners, we're happy to talk about the dual timeline now. Just really wanted people to get a chance to figure it out on their own first. The title comes from Dante's Inferno. What did you learn about that, Caroline? I had a fun time looking around for all different thesis papers that were on Dante's Inferno. There was actually a quiz that I took to find out what level of hell I was going to be in. What level of hell? do you deserve for me a level three which is not that bad it turns out that it's more like i like food and i'm like more gluttonous than i am um about being like truly evil or anything so my punishment in contrapasso world which means the exact opposite basically or an opposite of what your sins were is that i would have to float around in sewer and like disgusting stuff i agree you deserve you deserve that yeah, that makes good sense right Everyone how about that. you you took the quiz too what were you i deserve the sixth level of hell which is crazy because paul <laughs> is like the most vanilla kind human like would never hurt a fly and so the idea no. that According to this quiz, I'm a godless heathen. <laughs> you are a level six. That's kind of frightening. And it also makes me wonder, like, what exactly are humans supposed to be like if you're a level six evil? I don't even I don't even understand. My soul encompasses an untold darkness. Wow. That's serious. Yes. Nine circles of hell. Shouldn't be in any of them. <laughs> oh, damn. Well, here's hoping we can mend our ways before then. A lot of people are talking about the Wikipedia uh, Contrapasso 
entry. And that one really highlights the idea of false sorcerers and prophets and astrologers that have their heads twisted around on their bodies backwards so that they found it necessary to walk backwards because they couldn't see ahead of them. So basically, if you looked up at the stars, which was forbidden, then this was going to be your punishment. Real quick, everybody could see a comparison with the old woodcutter there from Sector 14. Right. His self-induced punishment was caving in his own head. Because you remember when we first, not when we first see him, but when we catch up with him with Elsie and Stubbs, he's he's looking up at the stars. He is. And he had those rocks that he had been drawing on and all those things. So clearly he had a sin of looking up at the stars or something. So now his punishment was head deformity. <laughs> That's what you get. Paul had an alternate title for this particular episode. Fastest pubes in the West. <laughs> <laughs> there was so much nudity in this one. We're going to have to turn out this episode a little later because we couldn't rewatch it. Our children <laughs> kept being around and Paul couldn't rewatch it anywhere near work and everything. It looked like you were looking at softcore porn everywhere. So it was like, oh no, I can't, I can't rewatch this. We get to have a good close up on some handsome pubes with our first Elsie story <laughs> the here. golden pubes <laughs> we do we're gonna start with Elsie this week who was working on a well-endowed but poorly aiming bartender he was oh. in the shop and he, he he had forgotten how to pour a key talent for a bartender well as he's working with old bart and and admiring his ample tools there Elsie sees some text taken off with the woodcutter she catches up and wants to wants to know what's up because if you remember basically that robot had been taken away from her by cullen and so she was out of the loop at this point were you guys pretty surprised when the text said that they were taking it to incinerator incinerator yeah were you guys surprised why not cold storage why are we going to the incinerator oh, i mean I, I think it goes back to you know maybe it wasn't dante's in contra punishment per se, for looking up at the stars, it, it was, you know, he was hiding what was inside his own skull, the computer chips that had driven him to do whatever he was actually trying to do. And so they recognized this. They weren't going to let it be studied, whether it be Ford who gave the order or someone else. And so they, they had to get rid of the evidence. Do you guys think it was Ford or Cullen who would well, say Well, Cullen, she represents the, the money behind the park and would and like quality control right right so yeah. i guess that's the best thing to do burn yeah elsie can't let it go so she finds a soft target that was awesome <laughs> old destin turned out was spending some quality time with our hosts who had to go to processing rigorously <laughs> Testing the capabilities. All orifices had right. to be checked carefully by Dustin. He, apparently, he's the self-appointed genital inspector. <laughs> oh, my God. So it's all about guest satisfaction, you know? It really is. I guess, you know, maybe that's a thing. See? What Sometimes maybe they have to be tightened up or mm -hmm. something. Yeah. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know. Oh, so using her knowledge that old Dustin was humping on some host bodies, she had the leverage to get him to hand over the woodcutter's body. When she starts checking him out, there's a couple things that we find out. One was the data pad that she was using to investigate him. The big text on it that we could read said GPS data corrupt, which lines up with his story because he was going off his path 
and it's it sounds like he lost his way he didn't know where to go and then the other thing is that she notices this weird scar on his hand and starts focusing on his hand where she locates this data transmitter that's what that thing is called well that's I put a wire with a red light Aww. well <laughs> she, she she would they don't bother to show us yanking it out but um yeah yeah no why were you guys shocked when she started pulling the wire and it was like stretching out of his skin yes oh definitely i i thought it was i wasn't sure it was a transmitter or anything like that obviously at first i i thought he was falling apart i mean the intro scenes and everything where they show all of these being created it's one strand at a time like a muscle fiber or something so I thought he was disintegrating, basically. Intrigue. She takes her findings to Bernie, and that's when she says that it wasn't stars he was drawing. It was a target. So does that still mean, like, perhaps he's trying to line up with, like, a satellite, perhaps? That's what the word she I used. Agree. She said satellite uplink. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that someone was trying to get information out of the park. So what do you guys think? Is Does it make sense to you guys that that is the most likely thing that they'd be trying to get data out of the park? Or do you think anyone's trying to manipulate hosts within the park using satellite? In today's technology, it's possible that you would just have a device that only transmits. That's a thing, mm. you know, like a police wire. Obviously doesn't need to receive anything. <laughs> this is a long time from now, though. So yes, it could be either. The prospect of an industrial espionage subplot is very uninteresting to me, though. I think you can take it, you know, a little more personal than that, and uh, it's futuristic paparazzi. I mean, you have the richest playground right here. You have people coming to live out their deepest, darkest secret fantasies, disturbed, depraved, however you want to be. And so you can snap a couple photos, you can do anything like that of the senator or the president or the CEO, you know, pulling a Dustin, if you will. Uh, <laughs> you, you, you might have some leverage in the in the outside world. I love that idea, Adam. And I, I definitely think that that is extremely realistic to what it could be. That I think that that's one level, and there's certainly tons of money to so be made. the host is a walking, talking, recording device, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and if you think about how insane these missions are, I mean, you really could get some insane dirt. I also think that, that their actual bodies themselves are some sort of proprietary technology, so there's sure. a lot having to do with them. But I also think that some idea of being able to manipulate the host from externally would be fascinating. And I do think that if there could be some sort of way to get into the world without being in the world, that's pretty wow. They're slowly possibly introducing us to, to different factions with an interest in affecting Westworld somehow. And this could be another one that's more of like a second season <laughs> type yeah. problem well because there's no reason if you think about it there's no reason why there shouldn't be a competitor in this in this entire universe like maybe we don't know where westworld exists if it's on another planet or if it's on earth or whatever there could be another land somewhere like we have astroworld and well, disney it, and think Six of Flags think of uh, and, game of thrones where the whole first season takes place with just a, a small group of characters, basically. I mean, it's like, it's a large group of characters. But in the second season, that's when we meet Stannis and, and Renly makes a play for the Iron Throne. The same kind of idea, right? You just got a, 
<laughs> you can't you got to build up to your entire world of and we talked about that a little bit i want to say in like episode one where we had mentioned that within the movie there's there's future world there's there was a roman empire type world right and so we had said i wonder if every season will bounce to another world and what a easy way to handle all your storylines if you did it that way because you only have to have their stories really work out in that one season and then you get you could go to a whole nother world if you wanted to and have all new cast and all new adventures somewhere else which is very hbo they've done it before like yeah. with the wire apparently that uh, yeah every every season of the wire different different and city it, different place different characters all of that was right. carnival yeah. like a little bit the same no but true detective is true detective okay mm. yes and that's a current show so it wouldn't be crazy and 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 it's cost effective i think in some way to be able to like get like stay at like level nine for like one season and then you kind of deplete every storyline really really fast but you don't have to linger there you get to like hop to another land so maybe this is going to be the way to introduce other worlds but that's it for elsie this week and that is it for bernie too yeah we mm-hmm. barely saw burn no nope. but we did get to see some other hq workers felix and sylvester were two techs felix was the guy who stole the bird and the behavior tablet and he was super busy working on his own private little experiment there. Felix is one manifestation of of a theme that happens three times in this episode, where the theme is that the character is not accepting their lot in life, that they want more than what they have currently. His normal job to us seems like pretty advanced job. You know, you're working on these robots, getting them running again, smoothing over their skin. It seems like a pretty tough job, but apparently at Westworld HQ, they're the equivalent to very low-level employees. They call them the butchers. Uh-huh. Yeah. And he wants more than that. He wants to be a programmer or something. And so he's starting small with getting a bird back online. I agree that old Sylvester like really shames him big time. And again, I come back to this like corporate culture they have that if you find anybody not doing their job exactly right, the best thing you could do is just berate them in a way that is so personal and so biting it's not just like hey get back to work it's like you will never be anything like the hell sylvester like (laughs) oh my god it's so extreme it's like if they only hired nelson's and millhouses and no one else there's only bullies or victims in this entire show it seems so far but by the end of the whole episode he actually gets the bird hopping around and 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 seemingly alive again it takes a couple tries Mm -hmm. when he first does that and the bird flies off the table and he's like so marveling at it because i have this little extra worry when it comes to this show about how they treat life i thought for certain this bird was gonna fly head first into (laughs) one of those glass walls and all we were gonna see was the blood like (laughs) and they were gonna let us watch the bird Mm -hmm. slide down the wall and you know what that would have been an okay freaky ending for me to be like wow but instead who do we see mave since i'm i'm kind of new coming around to this multiple timeline thing i was wondering if this is picking up directly after last week. Maeve gets shot and comes back in and gets worked on and gets sent back out. Or if, is this another time in Maeve's story? Because this is another gut shot <laughs> that they have to work on to fix. Since she shows up in Felix's second scene and his third scene, I was wondering, was she still just in the room from before? 
and they just hadn't sent her back out yet? Or is she back in again with another gut shot? And she's just kind of working the system, trying to figure out how to make her play. I think at least in the continuation theory, she'd have a lot more than a gut shot with how many bullets flew through the door. Yes. And so, you know, I, I think this must be at least points a lot more to, you know, her kind of working the system, figuring out how she can do it. You know, a gut shot, I guess, is a easier way to, to die if you're going to die as a robot. You know, and just one back, you know, we, we took a step farther here. Going back to Felix, one of the things that I definitely noticed, and it's the, sh- the shout out to Michael Crichton, which is the, you know, come on, little one. You know, the Jurassic Park reference. And so oh, yeah. they they do that. They've done a couple others that I, I've kind of noticed, but I can't call up right now. But they they definitely are doing that. I swear even the actor was like Asian who yes. was the scientist yes. who was doing it when mm-hmm. he's so it it looks it's the the character looks very similar. Omaji. Yeah, kind mm-hmm. of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. So here's a question. Do you think when he was playing around with the behavior tablet and he got the bird to come alive? Did what he was doing on the behavior tablet affect Maeve and wake her up? Or did she wake herself up? I'm of the opinion she woke herself up. I am too. I think I think she's been practicing. Mm-hmm. And now she's ready. At least she thinks she's ready. I like that they leave that a little bit ambiguous. That like maybe he did. I mean, he's new. He's a little clumsy. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's like anything within 10 feet of this behavior tablet is going to wake up whatever right. can Bluetooth in, you know, mm-hmm. in that moment. I don't know. And that's why she woke up. But I like that they left it like we still don't quite know how much control she has. Yeah, I I, I could see it going either way. But I want to believe exactly that she woke herself up. Talk about waking up in a new land. My good Lord, Pariah is turning out to be a raw joint. When we first start coming up to this area and they actually had topless women vendors like at the farmer's market that yeah. seemed like so extreme and silly like really you the topless guys? woman working at the butcher like yes that, <laughs> like, seemed... that meant, come on guys common sense that's it, just not safe it, it was pirates of the caribbean you know when when, when they pull topless. into port and so all, all of a sudden you have everything going on and i'm talking the ride here you know, obviously a little less PG than, than the ride actually was, but right. a little bit of mayhem everywhere you look. What did you guys think about Logan having this long exposition about the history of the park and just blathering it all out to William? Now that the dual timeline theory is a little more solid in my mind, it seems like he had to say this stuff a little more explicitly than had come up in the past. So he had to say this stuff about the the park losing money, kind of needing this, you know, help from an outside source. It gels very well with some other stuff that happens with the man in black later. Yeah, I mean, they go all the way up to almost saying Arnold's name, but they explain it all again. The same thing that Ford had explained to Bernie. This was basically the exact same story, with the exception that he actually managed to say there was fallout from Arnold passing away ford tried to make it be like we wiped arnold clean and we all just moved forward and everything was totally fine but in reality now with logan's retelling it's like oh no wait hold on they were actually hemorrhaging money and this whole park was gonna go down because arnold passed away which is something that i feel like we all do need to kind of start thinking about is this idea of like what was arnold trying to do or what was someone trying to do to arnold were they trying to take the park down in some way that really just fiscally it wouldn't stay open if there was a death in the park or is it because the creator himself 
would have died, that that would have caused the park to close? What part are we trying to hone in on at this point? Comes in in Dolores and Ford's exchange a little later. I'm of the mind that at this point anyway, that Arnold was trying to make this grand gesture and thought that that would be enough to kill this thing that he had fallen out of love with the park you were saying fiscal or or you know for what reasons there it, agreeing here with paul in a way it, it was it was a moral issue with the park it was it was a moral problem with what people were doing do you think that arnold originally thought people were going to come to learn to square dance <laughs> and then once it started to get rolling and he was like, wait, a lot more Quite. people are going to the saloon than the dance recital. And no one's at the <laughs> roping lessons. Yeah. I mean, do you kind of wonder if it started off with a little more like Dollywood frontier land and it kind of turned into this crazy, crazy other place? I think Arnold had our higher hopes for people that were that were coming for an experience as in, I'm going to lead a good life, but in a different time. Just as if I was really leading my life the same way I act in real life, I'm going to act in here and I'll have all the same safeties on. I'll have all the kind of restrictor plates that we all put on ourselves in the real world. But instead, you have Logan, the perfect example. I'm not in the real world. I don't have to have any restrictor plate. Yeah. And he, God, he was so gross in this episode, seriously. So the reason why we've come to Pariah is because William, Logan, and Dolores are bringing back Slim to El Lazo, and they finally get to meet El Lazo. Did either of you guys recognize El Lazo as Lawrence? Not at first. No. I didn't at all. And you know how much El Lazo looks like um, our daughter's music teacher, Aldo? And every time I saw him, I was like, Aldo, you bird, is this what you want to go do? But give him a beard and a hat and he's a totally different guy. <laughs> I, I mean, I I did. I, I definitely, as soon as as soon as soon he tipped up his hat, he was like, okay, all right, it's Lawrence. Now that makes him, okay. Did you freak out? But, Were you like, oh, it's Lawrence? It was a good connection. You know, it was a good, it was a good tie back that they did. And it certainly helps the loops uh, and gives the men in black story much more weight i liked it too because it it did give lawrence um that backstory that do you guys remember when he was going to be hung and they were like this is the baddest guy in mm -hmm. all the west and we we're kind of like okay what did he do and then same with when they were on the stagecoach and they were taking him for the prison breakout of hector right they're like you don't even know who you have in this coach like <laughs> of what a badass he really was so i guess we should have been anticipating eventually lawrence is going to have to show himself <laughs> If you guys um, didn't look it up, El Lazo is Spanish translation for the loop. I enjoyed seeing Logan, who obviously thinks of himself as the mega gamer. He begins negotiating with El Lazo in this very chest thumping Trump style. And then someone just punches him right in the face. <laughs> That like, was take, nice to see. Like, that was that, the, like the park can really fight back for once. You know, you're outside the city. You're outside the little safety zone. They, you know, they made a lot of reference to that. The farther you go, the more dangerous things are. Well, apparently they actually are. Well, and interesting you say that because we were wondering if the dual timeline was making up for that violence between host and guest because we didn't know if that's a good call. Is that maybe it's just because you're you're out as the further out you get from Sweetwater, you actually can get more and more real fist fight type stuff like that. But we were wondering if because this is the William and Logan story and we think that's the 30 years ago that maybe the hosts were able to be more hands-on and fighty and all that stuff and that maybe because of the 30-year incident, remember now when we saw Dolores, she wouldn't hurt a fly, like none of them could touch mm -hmm. anybody else. Like maybe possibly they had reprogrammed in a way that now hosts actually 
couldn't punch or lay hands on or fight back. He didn't seem too worried in the little farmhouse. I mean, the shootout Logan. from last yeah. episode? Exactly. Well, there's there's getting hurt and there's getting killed. And he was willing to be hurt a little because he was very sure, like you mentioned, he was playing on easy. Mm -hmm. So he was sure he wasn't going to get killed. But in this episode, I think he's 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 really getting in touch with just how willing he, he is to get hurt. I'll, I'll go with you, Adam. That I, I think he looked really surprised. Oh, I think when, he was when they hit so up. And, and he's made he's made mention that he's never been out this far, you know. And so I I I think it's the distance from the center, and the storylines get crazier. The world gets a little quote realer. And I and you know in the in the shootout before he was a lot farther in. Yeah, I like that. I think that that makes a lot of sense. So who comes to his rescue in this El Lazo negotiation is Dolores. And she, I think, is offering up, I'm going to say these are like magic words type thing, where she's like, hey, I think you're seeking something and I'm seeking something too. And I think we could be of help to you. To me, that was like, push the gold button now. And now you get more information from El Lazo. To me, that was like, take us to the next level. We're moving on. Yeah. He he talked tough, but he then acquiesced and was like, okay, I'll give you a mission. Mm -hmm. And it's like then he recognized Dolores for something other than just like the chick they were hanging out with because he's like, oh, you know what? If you're going to be a part of this whole thing, you're going to need a change of clothes and no more with this Barbie doll blondie <laughs> business. He does hand her a hat. And a pair of pants. And a pair of <laughs> pants. So what did you guys think? So it wasn't a black hat or a white hat. We all agree that it was some shade other than black or white. Some taupe. Some taupe, <laughs> right? Something in the taupe family. I think it's a simple gray. So, <laughs> And I saw olive green. But it's all good. I think mainly the main thing we had to know is it was not black or white. And that was key. And what we predicted having to happen last episode this episode where they were going to have to go from being i don't know the light side capturing a bounty now they have to hold up a wagon with union soldiers and steal their wagon and the plan is just to leave them stranded out in the desert but the plan is put in jeopardy when logan goes off and just starts punching people so what did you guys think of this of like logan's behavior out there should he have played it more straight and just gone along with it or is he just such a freaking hothead that of course they say the words oh the super scary awful words half wit and that's <laughs> enough for him to basically like blow this whole thing out well i did note here that logan is an asshole i mean i, I wrote oh, it i wrote it oh, down oh, here oh <laughs> yeah i saw that you wrote that all over the dry erase board i think logan should have just played it cool and gone along with the plan i mean he got slim killed yes which slim quickly. in the story needed to go so that's understandable mm -hmm. i guess but i mean i don't know what would would you guys have acted like well and then william here? william was put in the position of of this needing is the key exactly yes. that's the key moment you're right mm -hmm. was that there had to be enough peril that he had to step in for dolores right well he had he had to step in for dolores he had to step in for logan, logan. but he also wound up killing an unarmed not just killing shooting in the back Oh, well, that's well, key, right? But the unarmed guy, he shot in the chest. Mm. But the key was his hands were up oh. and he wasn't making a move. Everyone else was, was making a move. Mm. But this guy was like, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> and Like it, that guy that was like, shit, 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 when they were right. chasing him. I love yes. that robot the best. <laughs> it's so fun. He might be relatives to this guy. Yeah, yeah, he just didn't want any trouble. But he got shot anyway. And that's 
a, a moment. William, he didn't need to kill him exactly, but, you know, it was the safest thing to do. I think it was like you say, like an adrenaline rush. I think it was just like he was like he shot for Dolores. He just turned and shot again. And just he was just now starting to turn. He didn't like it, which is important, but he still did it. So they bring the it turns out to be Nitro that they're bringing back to the Confederados who now Elazo says so keenly, so smart Elazo is like, hey, instead of like taking this and going about your your evil doing ways, why don't y'all stay for a crazy gold whore party? Right. I've got these girls that I've painted <laughs> up in guys, gold. And guys, babes. And guys. There were plenty of golden men. I know your I eyes only notice. went one direction. Yeah, I, I didn't know. notice I Understood. Them understood. At all. Well, there's plenty of golden genitalia of all sorts. <laughs> the uh, Confederado is convinced that one night stay hey, couldn't three hurt. Golden... Well, Log- Logan helps. Yes. He does help co- convince the Confederados. So they get to this golden whorehouse, and wow, if you guys remember back a couple episodes, we talked about how uh, the Screen Actors Guild was really questioning what the show was about because they were making the extras sign all this extra contracts that said they were cool with things like being on their hands and knees naked, genital to genital touching, that they would be in all these like unusual positions and stuff, and that it was all... They all just needed to be cool with it. And uh, even, I mean, SAG was like, what are y'all making? Because it is like softcore porn that we're watching as our adventure story, right? So I said on my notes that this scene alone is what's going to sell box sets at Christmas time. (laughs) Because I feel like everyone's going to need to want to own that in their home. Right. Watch it on their own time. I'm going to need the the 4K version. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Whenever that those uh, virtual reality glasses and everything come out like that. But our troops are not interested. They are talking to the lead confederado because he's he's too infatuated with having been to war. Yeah. That this lusty, you know, boob squeezing is below him beneath his his interest. Is that real, y'all? Or what's the scene? What's up with confederado? (laughs) Think he's like impotent? Yes. He's an old man. (laughs) Right. He's an impotent host. You know, I, I think it's just a teaser for for the next step in the maze kind of kind of deal where, you know, Logan's ears perk up and, and all of that because he's like, oh, OK, yeah, yeah, this is this is it. You know, all right, I, I did a Lazo. Now this is a new part. And so he's experiencing a new part of the game that he's already played 50 times before. And so I think it is the next quest leader. And William even is like, really? War so much better than this? Like, <laughs> even he's kind of like, not that he's interested, but that it, it does put a big question mark. What the what is going on out at war that this fat, old, crappy guy isn't <laughs> interested in all of this? Mm-hmm. Like, how could it possibly be? And that triggers Logan into starting to mock William pretty mercilessly. And this is another time that the... You should just stay in your lane theme comes up. Logan is trying to make William think that he has he has done as much as he's going to do. He's topped out. He's not a threat in any way to him that he selected him because he's not a threat. And that his fiance elected him. Because he's not a threat. And he's really backing William into a corner. What do y'all think about the line that Logan gives him with there's no heroes and there's no villains and that this is all a big circle jerk, basically? What do you guys think of the idea that there's really, whether you're in Westworld or in real life, there's no heroes and there's no villains? I think no one's 100% anything. 
That's true. The the white hat and the black hat is good if you're if you're only going to pursue Westworld in that very surface kind of way that you you know you protect the damsel and don't have sex with her exactly, but you you know play the game like that. That's probably a rare percentage of people that play the game like that. I felt like Williams entire world crumbled in this conversation because not only was he sort of being chastised that there's no heroes and no villains and he's been holding himself up as the hero this whole time very much so but then also to go to the real world talk which they had said at the beginning they weren't going to talk shop to go right to like what he was wearing on the day of the promotion and that he was just this loser vice president just nothing nothing i felt like you the the actor did a great job his face was like he was crestfallen. He was just empty there. He does throw Logan up against the wall, mm-hmm. which, you know, ordinarily doing to your boss is not recommended. Would either of you guys have taken it further or would you end it there? You guys know I'm not a puncher, so I wouldn't have taken it further. But would well, you guys have? Depends where the threshold is. You'd have to know that with the other person is throwing him up against the wall. You've already stepped into the chasm. There's no coming back from that. So you might as well beat the fuck out of them at that point because you've already passed the unforgivable line. Or is the unforgivable line still a little ways down the road and you can make up for throwing him up against the wall? Okay, that's like a gut instinct situation. I'm afraid so. Yeah, it's it's a millisecond decision. <laughs> well, I mean, what would is. you guys have done? I mean, so I, given I, boss, I, you know, I think it's for for William at least, and at least the character development. I think it's the spark of you know, hey, he really does have some some meat to his bones. The same way, you know, where he shot the people out, uh, the the Union soldiers, and all of that. That this is, and it's even farther because it is real. These are not hosts. And so this is Logan, this is someone close, and that's, you know, that switch has been flipped inside of him. When it comes to punching him or not, you know, I, I think he probably recognizes Logan for what he what he actually is, you know, just kind of a blowhard and and all of that, but vindic- but vindictive at, in the same right. And so if you do take it too far, if you do do anything like that, you're going to screw up a lot of stuff for yourself, but you could scare the shit out of him, just throw him up there, give him a mean glare, and he'll probably back down. It sucks to me that Logan is like the poster child for like what happens in Westworld stays in Westworld. But I agree with you wholeheartedly that any amount of violence against Logan, you're going to hear about it in the office next week. <laughs> like there, I don't feel like for a second that he would have like been like, oh, what happened in Westworld stays in Westworld. We're all cool. We're exactly the same as when we go back, which I totally want to talk about in a second. But it's weird to me how this was developed a couple years ago. Right. And. Maybe this is just me, but Logan, we already know that his family, they've got their company and they're big investors into the into Westworld. And it sounds like, and this is just me again, that there's a parallel to Trump's children and that kind of nepotism up the ranks kind of thing. I mean, yeah, I'm sure his kids really earned their whatever it is their their they ranks to like it, wharton business school they're not total saps right but you see where i'm going here like i don't know maybe i'm just reading into it but it just seems to really resonate say, with something happening right now i think that but i think that that's because it's a true human experience that family empires exist and mm-hmm. and generally yeah i mean you when you get yourself kind of weaseled in as the outside the family person like william has now he's having to work for his brother-in-law and he's marrying the sister and all this stuff and like my god what 
shenanigans he's going to have to do to stay both married and employed is <laughs> going to be crazy for his whole life. Like, that's never going to be better. If you went back historically to any family empire, you could come up with a lot of this same story. I mean, like you said, Game of Thrones, there's just so much of when you've mm. got family and everybody's got to make nice and it's all weird and things right. are going on behind closed doors. Like Logan probably gets beat every night by his dad. You know, I mean. Logan might be their Joffrey. He's just like, <laughs> he's the only son. So what are you going to do? Anything, yeah. I mean, honestly, anything could be could be true. Logan decides to head outside and play a game of catch with Nitro with the Confederados. And William looks up and realizes like Dolores has taken off and he's feeling super embarrassed now. So he looks like he goes to another part of the room, gets a drink, waits a few minutes, and that's when Dolores comes running back from her adventure. And that's when she's like, we gots to goo. What'd you guys think of William's response where he was like, of course we have to go. That's what this whole crappy ass place is about. You have to give this false sense of urgency so that everybody acts all crazy. Do you guys think that's true or was what was up? I think he was in a funk. I think it's all of the above. Like he is in a funk. The narrative is manipulative and they were about to be in physical danger. (laughs) And what's the best way to get the guy out of the funk? Girls. Give him a big mooch, right? And Uh say like, I can't do this without you. And then, oh, he has no choice. Yeah. When you brought that up the first time we saw it, I really didn't want to believe that. But the second time I saw it, she really didn't need to kiss him right then but she does and then all of a sudden he's like okay let's go you know we call that paul sealing the deal in that particular case so yeah she needed his help and the best way to get it was to lay a big smacker on him honestly he had been playing it real innocent this entire time he didn't go for clementine or anything but now he's just been spending like the last hour watching people writhing around a small mooch might have been enough to be like woohoo Let's like get moving, right? You got to wonder about, he's probably been thinking the last few minutes about Logan being Logan's brother-in-law, marrying Logan's sister. What is this sister like? He was holding out. If you remember the whole reason he said, Clementine, I'm not going to kiss you. I'm not going to do anything is because he's got a true love back at home, real love, right? And so you're right. Now Logan's kind of called that all into question by being like, my sister only picked you because you're like such a loser, blah, 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 no threat. And now you're right. He's got to be sitting there being like, hey, this hot chick just like laid one on me. I think I'm done with that whole sitch. Well, I saw what you were saying. Uh, I think, my second Adam, viewing. because we were talk- discussing this before you were here. So the whole uh. time they were in Pariah, it seemed like she was just being really loose with her thoughts. She just was like, I'm feeling like this and I'm feeling like that. And da, 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 da. one of the things that made me wonder was she plays it so close to the vest with like every other scenario. But when it comes to William, she's very like, I don't know what to do. I just I'm getting all these all these new feelings. And part of that, I know Logan referenced last time was like, yeah, of course they're going to give you the girl who's like all like, oh, maybe I'm not a robot because that's what William needs to mm-hmm. buy in. Mm-hmm. He needs a somebody who is going to be all like, I, I'm just a I'm just a real girl. You it, know, it, it was the initial interview. You know, when he go, when he goes with the with the first host to pick out his hat and weapons and all that stuff, psychological interview. What is this person going to really want out of this game? 
That's true. And if you remember the question that they go back and forth was he saying to her, are you real mm -hmm. to that host? And she's like, what is, you know, does oh, yeah. it matter? And his face read, yeah, it matters. Mm -hmm. You know, like it matters a lot to me. He didn't say it, but yes, it matters a lot. I, I really think that she just does a brilliant job of playing him in this entire thing. I don't think she's in love with William or anything. I think she just, she says all this stuff that he wants to hear. I think it's like um, when you, when you find out maybe that somebody is gay and you think I'll turn him. I'll be the one. I'll be the one, right? So it's like William's all like, I'll be the one to like to like help her become a human or whatever. Like there's that weird, it's all because of me that she's becoming real and she's having all these epiphanies. So, but speaking of real crap happening out there, when the nitro bottle hits the ground and Confederados realize like, uh, uh we should have blown up. <laughs> yeah. That was like holy crap. I would also like to say, how much does it just show what an asshole Logan is for wanting to be one of those people that would yes. throw around the explosives? Like, you guys Not are throw such... around, throw the explosives. <laughs> yes, like, bah! Like, what is with them? And all the, like, the townswomen were like, yee! Like, every time, like, hi, Poppy! Like, every time they threw it. William sees Logan getting the the bad end of the stick there and he's getting beaten pummeled choked all these things and he says no more pretending and then he leaves with dolores what is the pretending can i ask you guys first what did you guys think of the fact that william opted not to step in and save logan because he could have just shot those two confederados i'm sure like i was saying the the switch has been flipped yeah that chasm that i was talking about he, oh, he figures it's already gone yeah so he's, okay fuck this guy so then i have a second question to that so in that case do you think that based on kissing dolores and based on this whole no more pretending do you think this is like he's accepting the fact that there's going to be real life consequences on the other side here like you two are our brother-in-laws and and I happen to be the wife here. So is this the situation where like we were only engaged and I found out that you did not come save my brother in, in a situation and my brother got hurt in any way? Do you think I would still marry you? Like what mm. the hell? No, very doubtful. Very doubtful I could come back <laughs> from ditching Adam in a in a mortal situation. You know, I, I got to deviate a little bit here because it wasn't really a mortal situation. Yes, he's getting pummeled. Yes, he's getting hurt. But I think also... You know, with when I'm saying the switch, he's Williams giving himself to the game. You know, lo, he knows Logan's not really gonna be hurt that bad. He's not gonna die or anything. William thinks he's an asshole and probably needs his ass beat, and so he's just like, okay, you go, you go, take that one. <laughs> Do you guys think that there are there any consequences for the guests who would be in a situation like that? Is this the kind of situation where the Confederados put him in some sort of like makeshift jail and then just like we heard Elsie say in a previous one, oh, we'll get, we'll send him the key and the breakfast so he can get out. Is there a long-term consequence for a guest who gets into a fistfight and like gets into this sitch or is there always an escape hatch? They're always going to be let out of their whatever the mess they've made for themselves. Or could he sit in that makeshift jail for the remainder of well, his vacation? What's Confederado coasts are programmed to act like they would if they were people, they would beat him to death. There would be right. no taking him captive. They You're have right. no need of this captive. So they would beat him to death. Do you think it would be something maybe they like put him in the back of a wagon or something and take him back to Sweetwater and be like, enjoy the saloon? Something to where like, what is the punishment? We're thinking that this is a 30 year ago timeline with, with William and Logan. So right. we only know how HQ acts in the modern timeline. 
when Stubbs was like, send in the, the troops. And that's when just kind of like in a video game, the Union troops just start showing up <laughs> and, and they overwhelm Hector's gang. Does that same influence exist in this earlier timeline? That's the sort of thing that would have to intervene because otherwise, just for some magic like reason, they'd have, to, they'd have to stop beating him for some reason they made up themselves. Yeah. Like what storyline would happen? That's, I mean, maybe it would, it, say, it would be Lazo's men. Yeah. But why would they, why would they want to protect him for any reason? Because as we're about to find out, Lazo is on the train. Yeah. <laughs> so. He's super busy. True. Okay. And then I have one more question about the no more pretending. I thought it was super ironic that he yells no more pretending. And then he like grabs Dolores's hand, like, <laughs> come on, pretend. robot girlfriend, let's go <laughs> off on our, on our life's journey together. And you're like, Oh, that's just sad. No more pretending. <laughs> no more pretending. I'm going to live happily ever after with my robot woman. <laughs> really? I guess there's... There's going to be some pretending. Right. It's still happening. There's got to be some pretending. Because you're not a cowboy and she's not real. So <laughs> a little pretending. So he was just quitting the pretending that he liked that Logan. That he liked Logan or anything yeah. like Logan's <laughs> exactly. fam. Right. So William... He doesn't want to be a phony. Exactly. He doesn't want to be a phony. So William and Dolores head off, and now they have their own confrontation with the Confederados. They're stopped in an alley with, what, like five Confederados? Yeah. That was some serious shit. And, like, William's like, I got this. Because, like, he's all high on not saving Logan, right? And then he gets off one shot, and then they totally pin him. And he's like, run, Dolores. And that does seem like... A programming thing where they could have just emptied their guns at the two of them, but they were instead programmed to do more like manual beatings. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of just like rassily. Like there was a lot of just kind of like push in and shove in that started to happen, <laughs> which is silly. They all have guns. So, okay, sure. But this is when Dolores saves Dolores the day. Dolores steps up, mm -hmm. right? And so she saves the day in this moment. The she hears the train whistle. Like, lucky, lucky her. Yeah. And is like, you know what? I remember something, I guess, is how we're going to play this. And so that's our way out of town. They jump on the train, find out that Elazo had the same idea. And they uh, come to a, an understanding that they're going to have to ride this train together. And no one's going to shoot each other. So Elazo, a.k.a. Lawrence, has had a lot of adventures this past episode. He starts off with us with the Man in Black. They're riding the three of them, Teddy, Man in Black, and Lawrence. Lawrence is still all tied up. Teddy looks like shit, kind of just draped over a horse. Man in Black leading the way. And Lawrence is giving some more background I thought you were going to say back talk because I'm like, yeah, he's giving some it, back talk. It, no, no, a little more background where he's, he's kind of confusing the idea of Wyatt a little bit. That he's he's kind of making it sound like Teddy is possibly as bad as Wyatt, which is interesting. I was reading something that pointed out that when Teddy is explaining to the posse a couple episodes ago that Wyatt was a sergeant in his unit in that flashback that we see teddy who's wearing sergeant stripes and wyatt is wearing corporal stripes hmm, that's super weird continuity issue or or he's telling a fib there hbo has made a quadrillion military shows band of brothers <laughs> the i see where you're going i see where you're going the costumer did not miss stripes. Got it. Right. They know a sergeant from a corporal. <laughs> <laughs> well, and here's the other thing to remember about Teddy. If you guys remember, he doesn't wear a white hat 
and he never no, has. He does not. When he was on the train, when he was sitting out there, he doesn't wear a white hat. So we assume he wears a white hat because he is smitten with Dolores and we want to think Dolores is a good person. So we think he must be the knight in shining armor when in reality, both of them could be villains. Right. They could be villain lovers. We he's don't the boy that know. rides the motorcycle. Yeah. As it turns out. You better out. ride a motorcycle, right? If you're going to throw away your life, you better have a motorcycle. They stop in a little clearing under underneath some trees. Man in Black starts to get kind of poetic with Lawrence. He tells him, as an old friend told me, there's a path for everyone, Lawrence, and your path has led you back to me. So uh, we all know that's Dolores, right? Who used to yak about paths. Dolores said that same exact line in the first episode. But why this is important is lost on Lawrence as Ford's boy version of himself <laughs> comes up and is like, hello, what's going on here? <laughs> so I totally said that boy Ford is a little mole. I feel like he showed up to be some sort of eyes on the ground to be like, what are they all up to? And ask weird questions and find out what's going on here. I honestly think he went right back or that was downloaded into Ford, the adult man's archive somewhere, whatever, so that he has that information. I don't think boy Ford just popped up. Well, Man in Black's demeanor changes completely. Man in Black has the temperament to just shoot away his problems. Oh, hell yeah. He could have just booted that kid in the small of the back down the, down the mountainside. But instead, right? he gives him busy work. So what do you guys make of that? I don't think the boy is necessarily a mole. I think in a, in a future this far away and in a park this advanced, they probably have surveillance capabilities where they don't need to send anyone or anything. But I, I think the boy is, is more like a helper. Kind of deal like you know you're you're on your quest in the game and you reach some kind of either impasse or you're lost or something like that and all of a sudden this this hidden character pops up and you know he's like the little fairy guy or whatever and just comes to to help or render some kind of aid or ask some questions with you to get you thinking about which direction you need to go or possibly if we're thinking this is ford versus man in black to maybe distract you from where you were headed and send you down a different path that kind of brings you more back within the park. I'm willing to go with distraction. I, I don't think that he is a helper kid. I think that the way that uh, any small kid coming in on your on your bandit scene here and he's like what you doing i mean it does like automatically kind of slow you down you're you're not maybe thinking of everything of what you need to be doing as a priority you're needing to give him busy work you know like you're trying to keep him busy and i kind of wonder too if it seemed to me like man in black wasn't where the hell did this kid come from? It was like, maybe this boy has shown up plenty of times. Seems like he, he had some recognition. Uh, we were just looking at the, the map of Westworld, and you can only guess where we saw him before. But I think that the church thing that we just got a glimpse of in that one episode where we saw the boy the last time is, I'm going to guess, is near the uh, agave plantation where we know that the rest of that project is going on. I mean, I'm assuming that they're part of the same project. And where they are presumably now is kind of like half the distance of Westworld. It's like 7 o'clock and 12 o'clock. So that's a long way for a little boy to just go. So your idea, Caroline, of him intentionally crossing paths with him as if kind of like in a, in a Sims game where you just like pick up a Sim and move him like God from one place to another, that seems like that could be what happened with that little boy. 
that god being Ford, because we we later learn that Ford is keeping track of what the man in black is doing. He definitely is. And what I thought was interesting as a little side note of this little boy is that um, I wonder a little if they got any inspiration at all uh, from actual Anthony Hopkins himself, because I read this article on Wales Online, and he, um, he actually keeps a photograph of himself at about this age, and they show it online, um, on his phone and he looks at it all the time to remind himself of his journey and he's like extremely humble about how far he's come and he talks to his to his own little picture and is like you know you've you've come so far little guy and and all this kind of stuff and it reminds me of the relationship that the character Ford kind of had with this little boy of him sort of being like treating him like he was his innocent self and I wondered if if that was a little real life informing art because this article was pages long of how much Anthony Hopkins really thinks about being that little boy at that age. If they did that, that would make a lot of sense. I mean, I like it. It gives it some depth. Anthony Hopkins is adding much more gravitas to this whole entire production than probably, you know, 99% of the other actors his age they could have picked because he is such a, a a quality actor and like and you kind of get the idea of like a quality human for whatever reason at least very layered person that that I think it would we might not like this show as much if we had to deal with a handful of Logans and stuff like that who are kind of like Meh, you know just in terms of like even not just their character but like whatever on that guy you know I don't care mm-hmm. but when you have like Anthony Hopkins you feel like okay you know you're like my grandpa I'm like already invested in you there's gonna be a deep story behind it you might have been able to get there with maybe like an Ian McKellen but he's very tall and I think that's a factor that Anthony Hopkins is not. Interesting. Why? Why? Uh, there's something just kind of unassuming about a short old man, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. He's a little portly, too. Oh. He's, old. he's 75. He's, 75. You know, he's more than that. He might be 80. Metabolism slowed down. <laughs> they do. Sadly, I'm aware. Things, things settle. Okay, so in completely shocking turn of events here for me, um, he figures out that what Teddy needs to get back up on his feet is a little transfusion. A good (laughs) old-fashioned blood transfusion. I mean, truly old-fashioned, because what was he going to do with this blood? Just feed it to him? (laughs) I agree. I'm still at a loss for how the actual transfusion worked. He had a bag of blood, a leather bag of blood, sitting there, and, and a robot. Right. So, I mean, it does work, but I mean, if we, I didn't notice any any tubing or anything in his in his gear. However, they managed to do this magical transfusion, which I think Paul put the hashtag I'd rather just die. <laughs> <laughs> then there you have this interesting Teddy talk uh, about how the original hosts were more like animatronics and then they kind of wrecked the host in man in black's mind and turn them into these more organic creatures that were more similar to humans do you guys think that there are shades of gray between who is sort of an animatronic host who is like a true human and then are there grade levels here of like hybrids and things that could be like a bernie that maybe could be like a high level it makes sense that there would be i mean if you look at say well Anything, but I can think of, say, like the army or something like that, where they have a certain model of a vehicle that they keep in service for 30 years. And as they go, though, 
that vehicle goes through several revisions. So they either upgrade the ones that they have in the fleet currently, or they get new ones from the factory that already are that new model. And when you get to that 30-year mark, you have this wide variety of partially upgraded and brand new vehicles that are all the same vehicle, but... I mean, this happens with jets or with uh, tanks or whatever. What's the difference? Because I don't know anything about robots like you boys do. What is the difference between like a cyborg or like a robot? What do we need to know? Well, what it sounded like the first generation, to me anyway, the first generation hosts were like Hall of Presidents animatronics. And when he said, I broke one open and it had a million pieces inside, I was picturing something with you know, sprockets and gears and shit that would literally come apart in a million pieces if once you once you broke its casing. I think the perfect example of that one is the cowboy, old, you know, Wild Bill cowboy that Ford talks to. Very again, clearly. You can he, hear he, the gears whining. Exactly. And, and, and his arm shakes like that, just like Hall of Presidents or anything like that as he tries to, you know, make a motion. Did you know that that was played by the bad guy from The Crow? No, I didn't. Yeah, remember him with the dark yes. hair and that growly oh, yes. voice like that? I loved the crow. <laughs> that's, that's the same guy. Huh. Wow. Yeah. Anyhow, they don't mention cyborgs in this, but in other fiction, it's basically like the melding of technology with organic machinery. Okay, so like the Terminator is a cyborg because he's got the flesh around the robotic interior. Yeah, that's that's it. Just the mixing of the two. Okay, so then, so would Teddy be considered, so far as we understand, if he's, like, got some flesh? Like, if he needs a blood transfusion? Although, I know we're saying the word blood, but exactly. it's really, like, robot fluid. Right. That's that's my assumption, use. or at least that's been my kind of understanding. Unless these are synthetic muscles that we're watching that's in the, in the right. intro. Right, that's what I was about to say. That I think they're, like, more like synthetic people. Mm -hmm. Which that, Which, what is that? Do we have a name for that? Is that a thing yet? That Synthetic is so far person. out from what we're because capable of, of brains, that, really? that when he says that well, it's more cost effective to build them this way, it mm -hmm. doesn't really make sense to me because it is that far away from <laughs> what we're capable of. Did you have any understanding, of. Adam, why it would be more cost effective to make them more like Teddy than an animatronic? My only guess is you can melt them down. I mean, because it's, you know, that pool of fluid. And if it, if it is this somehow controllable through electrical impulse kind of um you know material uh, where it would be like cells and everything then they could design or build a quasi-organic being maybe this is like an extrapolation of how currently the bleeding edge of 3d printing is things like printing mm -hmm. ears yeah and, yeah, yeah and stuff like that and where they're saying the next step is actual organs yeah organs are next yeah so this is just like way past that where you're just printing the whole body. Well, so then the mm -hmm. question mark is then that's really close to human. Whereas if you, were, if you needed to repair that or replace it compared to the tinkering and shit you'd have to do to fix one of these animatronics, mm -hmm. that's the only reason I'm thinking, you know. No actuators, no anything. Right. Yeah. When they say cost effective... It's that they've honed that 3D printing technology to the point where people considered the lowest rung in the organization can effectively work and repair them is so commonplace that the other side of it, the the, the, the skill to fix actual like mechanics, that is, that's become more expensive. You know what I mean? Okay. But that seems so far away. 
if you guys would like to go on a field trip with me, I did <laughs> see a flyer at the library that they have a 3D printer that you can go and mess with. So they're going to have a certain night. They're going to have a 3D printer there. Mm. So if everybody's interested, we could go on a Westworld field trip. <laughs> For research. For research. I'd like to print me up a Dolores. <laughs> oh, my. Really? No, definitely not. <laughs> no. Right. Okay. So Teddy gets all his fluids in him. And the man in black's like, how am I going to get this guy motivated to get going on this trail here? I know what to say. He's like, I've got this situation with Wyatt, and guess what? They took Dolores. And then all of a sudden, it's like, boing. Yep. <laughs> exactly. The secret word of the day is Dolores. That gets him up, gets him moving. Yep. So they go for a while, and they end up needing to take a little pit stop at a bar. Those are called saloons in oh, the Old West. Me, mm. When they put down the three cups, did you guys think it was going to be Ford that was going to join them at the for a drink? I kind of did. Oh. Cuz the they well they they were telegraphing it with the piano playing. The man oh. the man sitting at the piano. Oh, dang. Was was him. So he gets up, gets the drinks and Oh shit. I didn't know that. He was in there sitting playing the piano. And he does his stop time trick. Whoa, I missed mm -hmm. all that. Dang, all I saw was the three cups, and I'm like, huh, I wonder who's going to come. <laughs> I didn't see him over there tickling the ivories and yeah. then stopping time and then getting the drinks. <laughs> like, I think he stopped me as well when he stopped time. I did not see that at all. <laughs> Although I would like to say that Man in Black looked sufficiently shocked to, to see him. He did seem surprised, yes. It would be like stopping to, you know, you're playing Nintendo at Best Buy, and then the guy that invented Super Mario Brothers picks up the other controller, you'd be like... I'd be like riding on the Dumbo ride, and Walt Disney, like, steps into the car with you. It'd be like, ah, <laughs> right. Walt, you came back from the dead. But he recovers. And asks them the main important question right away. Did you come to stop me? Mm -hmm. Is that what you're here for? The way that Man in Black and he talk... I mean, obviously, every time Ford comes in the room, he is all of a sudden the smartest guy in the room. And everyone else just deals with that. Whereas Man in Black, he is not willing to, to go down without a fight. Well, we find out quite a bit about these two relationships. So Ford is the most powerful guy in the room most of the time. But in this particular case, it's revealed that after Arnold passed away, that the park was in these financial dire straits and that it was actually Man in Black who fronted money to save the park. This was a question mark with us. We keep thinking maybe Man in Black is actually Arnold's son. If that's still a possibility out there, I don't know. But if it is, then is it possible he used like life insurance money or just Arnold being a successful scientist guy? Maybe he had money. What have you? I don't know. But is that somehow still tied in? Does he still want more about Arnold because there's some other tie? In the dual timeline theory that we are more and more embracing, the, <laughs> the idea of him being Arnold's son is disappearing. And so it's starting to make more sense that this guy is William, but, but the door's still open. But still be Arnold's son. Yes. It could be both. That there better they're be, not exclusive. There better be more twists and turns because I swear to God, if dual timeline is, is the what one. we got, and yeah. we got we were told that episode one basically by all the the yapper on the internet, then God, there better be some other good twists here. So he's here to find the maze, and he is here because 
He believes that underneath the veneer of the bounty hunting missions and the whore fucking and that kind of stuff that people engage in, that there's a deeper level to Westworld that Arnold put there that helps you with this purpose finding that, that he was talking about earlier. How did you like the way he stuck it to Ford with wanting to ask the creator of the park whether or not that that layer actually exists. I thought it was awesome because Ford's like, if you want to ask me, just go ahead and ask me. And he's like, uh, I need a shovel to dig him up because that guy died 35 years ago. I thought that was amazing because Mm -hmm. you watched Ford's face be like, like, Mm -hmm. I mean, he got like stony with him after that. And he had a couple of little digs like that where he was being super snotty and like whatevs about everything. And then when he's like, oh, oh, I wonder what would be inside you if I cut you open. Well, it was it was very much kind of the first light that we've seen that Ford was maybe the number two. You know, that that really all of this was Arnold. So how convenient to him to just scrub Arnold from the books and become mm -hmm. number one. Mm -hmm. How does number two ever become number one? (laughs) Number one's got to die, right? (laughs) So when he starts to motion to Ford with his knife, he doesn't, he just insinuates that he's going to chop up Ford to make sure he's a human. And Teddy forgets that he is mortally wounded all of a sudden. (laughs) (laughs) No, he totally like swoops in when he grabbed the blade of the knife like that. I was like, whoa, whoa, Teddy, too much there, man. I actually thought the more like sort of artistic moment in that whole scene was when Ford goes to hand the, the knife back. And the way that he holds the knife, he he takes it out of the table. And the way he kind of brings it into himself, like, point first and then hands it back. There was this, like, moment, not that I really thought he was going to, like, jab himself in the stomach. But there was just enough, like, I don't know, innuendo of, of like, bringing it towards himself and then passing it over. Although you saw something different there. I thought he recognized the knife. Exactly. And so, will you think this is, like, the knife that killed Arnold? Or you think this is... I, I think, well, they show William... Uh, in another part during this episode with a very, very similar knife. Whoa, nice. I love it. But still, why would why would Ford need to like acknowledge that? If this has been William the entire time, why is he looking at this like... Maybe they just oh. needed the knife on screen for a second and a half longer than if he just <laughs> handed the knife back to him. I just think Anthony Hopkins is that kind of guy too, where he just has to act a little gross about it, right? <laughs> That's a little, a little Hannibal. Hannibal. Yeah, I was gonna say a little Hannibal. He's still got a little of that, you know. Just it's not it's not overtly horrifying, but the just subtleties in his movements, like you're a freak, dude. You're really a freak. So continuing with his freak streak, he he decides that he could take his leave now, but not without some parting words to Ted. He uses some magic words, and Teddy all of a sudden is like, "Time's a wasting. We gotta go." Yeah, he also kind of squeezed his shoulder a little bit, which made me wonder if he, like, Hmm. pressed a button or something in there that was, like, reinvigorate, like, all the bars are full of life now, (laughs) re-energize. He had, like, a backup battery or something in there because he did this, like, squeeze, squeeze right on his shoulder. It's like a video game, you know, where where you run into the extra hearts that all of a sudden take your guy that was dying a second ago (laughs) and turn him into 100% health. He did. He was absolutely reinvigorated. And to prove that point, Ford like snaps his fingers. The player piano goes berserk. Fast and loose. (laughs) It doesn't just play a little tune. It plays like the Insane Asylum soundtrack. 
Like but, it's like crazy. But I think it's because the story's going a little off the rails. I'm with you 100. Mm-hmm. percent And it's definitely the type of music that's mm-hmm. like we're all getting nuts now. <laughs> it had no musicality to it. It was all jumbled on top of each other. It was just crazy. Speaking of it like, it was Wonka's boat going fast through the tunnel. That's right. That's exactly <laughs> what happens. <laughs> Uh, well, speaking of jumbling up our brains and making us feel a little crazy, Dolores had a thousand scenes here that made me feel like she clearly has got a couple different timelines and or flashbacks that are making us all hard to follow where she's at when. I was not a believer in the multiple timeline theory until watching this episode the second time. We catch up with Dolores. She is alone in a cemetery that overlooks what we come to learn to be pariah a little bell jingles yeah but that's a creepy bell for all of you guys who don't know what that bell's about they used to put a bell on the headstone i guess i want to say it happens to be a cross in this case and the string actually goes down into the coffin because way back when we did not have very good medical science and sometimes sometimes comas or other things could appear to be death and you wake up later Mm. and so the idea was you were to ring the bell in case you were actually alive in there so when the bell rings a little bit to me that's like somebody's alive that you thought was dead it's the same time she hears the voice as well she flashes back she sees a church and a different cemetery and then the camera does this weird trick There are conventions that cameras are supposed to follow that help the viewer keep track the direction people are going or who's talking to who and stuff like that. So it's called the 180 degree rule. There's like a line that the camera is not supposed to cross. They can go anywhere on one side of the line, but not on the other side. And in these scenes where these flashbacks happen, a lot of times that 180 degree rule gets broken. And as you're watching it, you that first time, you may not notice that these changes occur. But maybe you just get that feeling as a viewer who's seen shows so many times, you don't even know that's a rule, but you get that disoriented feeling. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, that's because the camera's in a place you're not used to. Right. So this camera whips around a couple times and it goes from no one being with her to everyone being with her the horses are like breathing down her neck right like come around and it's like wait a minute what where did they come from so you can interpret that as she just kind of spaced out for a while and was like having some flashback to standing in that cemetery alone or or in real that now she is kind of reliving a memory that she has already done so she is in one timeline there alone and she is just kind of visualizing something she's already done with William and Logan and Slim temporarily. <laughs> so we had into Pariah, and this was the time when she was just blathering to William. She was just telling him everything. There's a there's a chance, and I'm not positive on this, but if you're buying into the two timeline thing, when we catch up with her again and it's nighttime and she's just looking at the dead body in the coffin, she's also alone except for the dead bodies in the coffins there's nothing else happening and then she kind of spaces out for a second and then all of a sudden it's like an entire there's an entire parade and all this other stuff yeah festival is happening there's a part there where logan and william are speaking to one another and kind of arguing about whether or not she's a robot or what's up and they kind of focus in on her and focus out like in and out and she's behind them 
And I think that in this dual timeline, then at one point during one of these times, she joins the parade. And at another point when we're seeing her now, she's watching herself somehow in the parade. Yeah, because they reverse the angle and this is an iffy moment, but you can't see Logan and William from the reverse angle where they should be standing and they're not there. And that's when she sees herself in the parade and then she starts to follow herself. She doesn't make it very long before Ford's like, "Uh -uh. (laughs) uh-uh, time for a dream. She hears the sleepy words. Uh So she totally hops out and has this really bizarre Ford encounter. Ford has put her in evaluation mode and stripped her naked, which is a great way to dehumanize another conversationalist with you. He wants to know, has she been talking to Arnold? And she's, no, mm-mm, haven't seen him in 34 years. And 42 days and seven hours. She's very specific. <laughs> wants to know, he, he asks her what was the last thing they talked about. Well, d- destroying the park, helping him destroy the park. And then she says this weird thing, and, I, and it makes you wonder where it comes from. Because he asks her about, do you remember me as a as a younger man? And... And she's, and no, and and, and she asks, are we friends? In this kind of goofy. She says it in like, I put like sticky sweet. She's like, are we very old friends? In a really (laughs) gross, she never talks like this kind of way. His response is like, no. (laughs) But from her point of view, like we know that this is all a game. Like she's doing an excellent job of like keeping it cool. Even when he's like hurting her hand. Which I also kind of wonder, the way he's squeezing on her hand, I also kind of wonder if that was not a, another, like, touch point kind of thing on them mm. because of how it, she, he was, like, pinching on it. I don't know. Maybe it was just... but Because how they always are, like, examining their hands when they're talking. Hmm. They've done that more than once where they are, they're kind of talking and kind of doing that move. I don't know what they're feeling for there. Well, we know she is working from pre-scripted schemes mm-hmm. and she's exploring new things based on those schemes. But if, as we come to find out in a minute, that she is talking to Arnold, then going back to one of those schemes that Ford probably wrote himself would have been the safest way to make it seem like everything's okay. Right. Well, so she doesn't stick around in the Ford encounter very long, but she does a very good job of keeping all the information to herself until he leaves her in the dark and leaves the room. And then she... She says, he doesn't know. I didn't tell him anything. Now, if I was Arnold and I was talking to people in their brains... I would make it possible for them to communicate back to me the same way. (laughs) I agree with you wholeheartedly. Like, why would she have to say that out loud? (laughs) But okay, sure. The next morning, she meets up with the gang. They're going to meet El Lazo. We've covered El Lazo's meeting and her role in it. But there's a tiny exchange between her and William that is interesting because... The um, evaluation periods that they have with their makers, um, they're not supposed to, that's not supposed to be anything to them. They're they're supposed to consider those dreams. And and she indicates that she had troubled dreams that night. It's kind of interesting because the conversation she has with Ford should be modern Millie, right? Or is it the 30-year-ago one? She says 34 years ago. Mm. 
So then that's got to be modern. Right. Because it's old mm-hmm. Ford doing the talking. So so when she comes back and says that she's had troubled, troubled dreams in the night. Then I now I got to one that that's the kind of stuff that throws me off of the dual timeline thing. I agree. <laughs> and I we invite listener feedback on that. Like, mm. how do we explain that part? So she was modern when she was talking with Ford, but then she comes back and appears to be back in the William Logan timeline. So how does this work? We don't know. But she meets Elazo, convinces him to go along with their plan and inherits a gray or taupe or olive <laughs> hat. And pants. We fast forward with her to that crazy golden whore party where (laughs) she gets totally icked out by the Logan William, like, come on, you guys, fighting idiots, and decides to go take a little tour of the joint. I'm not so sure that I would be so brave as she is, but she sees a lot of things in these various rooms, including a tarot card reader. They don't even talk. She just sits down and they start start pulling out cards. I think that's how tarot reading goes, right? (laughs) Well... You don't want to tell them anything. You just gotta. Exactly. You just gotta sit down and you just gotta start doing it. I don't know my tarot cards that well. Mm, you don't. But is the same maze that we've been seeing come up over and over again? Is that a standard tarot card? I don't believe it is. <laughs> huh. Well, that's the card she gets, and she wants to know what it means, and that's when nothing makes sense after that. Yeah, because now it flips to where the tarot card reader actually turns into Dolores in her blue prairie dress. So I don't know what that means. I don't know. I don't know how this is happening. If this is some sort of flashback, I don't know. If does this mean she's played both parts before? What does that mean? She talks to herself, tells her follow the maze. Right. So, so she freaks is this herself. a physical maze now, or is this more like they've been having to do so far, which is just following a scavenger hunt? Right. And stuff? Right. I I'm still going with scavenger hunt. I don't think it's a physical maze no i don't i don't think there's any hedge maze at the end or anything so i i I think it's definitely you know the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow she says she feels herself unraveling and that's when she notices a Uh, little monofilament sticking out of her arm mm -hmm. what do you do when you see a monofilament sticking out of your arm well you yank it until it hurts more than you can stand all the way up to your elbow (laughs) joint like not just like a ooh, that hurts a little like you tug it a little like no just all the way up all the way up but then all of a sudden she kind of wakes up and she's okay. So, But she's not okay. She freaks out. She runs the hell out of there. This, she's this so is like a, a combination of modern Dolores revisiting a, a room where she had been 30 years ago. This is, this is a proposal idea anyway. And then this scene I think is modern Dolores remembering a place that she had been and seeing herself do what she did there but then it also seems to be a projection of herself telling her what she needs to know to keep moving what if it's that like arnold can that's that's legit sure that could be that projection or what induces that projection i'm saying that arnold is like coming through as that Mm-hmm. hologram i don't know we said we do a rewatch from like one to five with the idea of only trying to map the timeline and trying to figure out which which went to which timeline so when, maybe we can get more understanding when she finally wakes up wakes up there is no tarot card reader there which is what would happen if we were looking at the modern dolores mm-hmm. in an empty town 
which is what Creepy. could be there, you know, from the from when she was gazing at the at the coffin earlier. Mm. So she does freak out, and she does need to get out of the golden. Yeah, whichever timeline it is, it doesn't matter. She runs <laughs> she out. She needs there. to get out of there, and this is when she sees Elazo and Slim. And we see that this is El Lazo's big fat plan was just to use these monkeys as his donkeys to carry on over the nitro. And he's just going to fill Slim's whole bot up with this stuff. Yeah, he's like a just a just another bootleg container. Uh, Perfect mule. <laughs> right. Seriously. And uh, she runs back in and tells William that, uh, you know what, they're in a lot of trouble here and they need to get out. And so they totally do. They take off. They're ignorant of the um, misbegotten game of catch outside. <laughs> so she knows that the Confederados are going to find out sooner or later that they've been double-crossed. But they find out right now. And so they run. And this is when they run past Logan again, and they opts not to, not to save Logan. And they head on out. And this time, when she is faced with all those Confederados and William's hands tied... She totally goes for it. And I, I loved her line when he was like, Dolores, like, how'd you do that? How'd you just like mow them all down? She says that she imagined a story where she wasn't the damsel, which is a pretty awesome way to put that. Mm -hmm. And that I don't, I don't know much about shooting, but the rapidity with her shots was like, bang, 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 bang. Aiming four times with a revolver, that seems like a pretty tall order. She did amazing. She, she took them out in like a breath. Yeah. I mean, they weren't just next to each other. And she had mm -hmm. to aim because they two of them were holding William, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. No, she was a crack shot. Ah, uh, yes. Which we just saw her five minutes ago be like, what a gun. She couldn't even pull a trigger. Right. right. Maybe maybe she was hedging a little. She said, <laughs> I imagined myself as uh, the best gunslinger Rainbow. ever. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So then from Dor Dolores's point of view, we head on the train and she meets Lawrence there. And this time is when we see some really interesting dual timeline camera tricks. If you watch closely the train car where they're at the both both sides of it look pretty similar but you can see in the background there's definitely one side has like these bins of potatoes and the other side has crates of something and elazo is standing on the crate side which also happens to be the foot end of the coffin they're standing next to the scene plays out like it does with the little you know power struggle blah 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 Elazo, who calls himself Lawrence at this point, and William go to the side of the car with the crates, the foot end of the of the coffin, and they share a drink. The camera does some weird stuff like it did back at the cemetery, where it goes from one side of her, of her face to the other, and it pulls back around to the side with the potatoes, pointing back at Dolores down the length of the coffin and now you can see there's nobody over there which is where they should be sitting now if you're not paying too close attention you would just think they were looking at the other side of the of the train car 
I think that was a, a really amazing thing to spot. And for me, I was like, I need to see that again. So <laughs> Paul needed to show that several times to me. And of course, we also noted that Slim's coffin is the only one with the maze imprinted on it. None of the other coffins had that. And I did try to pay attention. Like, was it, were they all marked for the maze? Yeah. Nope. Only Slim's. It's like so. the maze is not not necessarily a physical thing as much as that's more like a signpost that you're on the right track. Mm -hmm. Do you think that maybe, well, I think that's a good call. Do you think that that war is the maze that men get into? We're heading off to war. Slim's heading to war. It it definitely seems like it's a part of it. Um, Is that, is it really the end goal or is it just another challenge? So far, we haven't heard anything past war. Mm -hmm. Like we know we have, we know why it and, and where we think why it is going to be at the war and that's where we're heading but we're only episode five how many episodes are in this season is it only eight i thought it was 10 because hmm. they called this the halfway point so it's it's 10 hmm. that's good math paul <laughs> disembodied voice she hears this time she tells i'm coming it's pretty well, freaky the war part of it seems very unlike arnold if arnold is the uh, maker of the maze right he's seeking a way to give consciousness to the robots mm-hmm. doesn't seem like war would then be the next thing that he'd want them to uh, to take on at that point. But would you guys say that like at a time of war, that's like when the crucible of man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I'm kind of thinking that like there's a lot of things that that come from the concept of war and. Maybe it's even a war with your own self. Maybe it's not a war war. We don't even know. We're Uh assuming because we've seen Teddy shoot some guns in a Confederate (laughs) uniform or a Union uniform that maybe that's a a true war. But what if it's not? If I'm ever God and my Uh my creations... You you wondered about that sixth circle? I'm going to be Mrs. God. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. First lady, God. We barely ever hear about her. No, she doesn't really get much press. You know she's I, if my creations strings. start squabbling, I'm going to think that they're doing it wrong. That's just that's just me though. Yeah, I I mean I understand that that they need to find some way to sort out their issues, but I'm going to consider them going to war them failing at it. Okay, so I don't I I don't feel this way, but it's something that has come up in other shows. So we've discussed like how men, specifically men, and the idea of like doing battle and the idea of sort of like going to war. Is it possible in if the, if the real world in Westworld is all roses and no disease and I can only assume no war, that they would have glorified the concept of war and and apparently all men want to go have a fight. That's apparently <laughs> a thing. Um, then is it something like did war always was war always like an endgame if you were like a savvy Player, you you that is the pinnacle of like you get to go be a part of an actual battle. I mean, there's war reenactors and stuff. I mean, there's there's reasons why people are super into military stuff like that. They had to search really hard to find Pariah, meaning that they also found the Confederados, and they're the ones that are pursuing their mercenary war. The Union soldiers aren't doing that up toward Sweetwater where you come into town and play the easy game. Mm-hmm. So where are we? Where are we in the war? Are the war's over? Cause they said the Confederate soldiers yes. who wouldn't surrender. Mm-hmm. The, so the war's over. Yeah. Or, or at least here, maybe the war okay, okay. is still being fought elsewhere. That makes sense. Okay. Around here it's union land. Yeah. But Westworld doesn't exactly correspond to, I don't it's really, like a, it's I like a hodgepodge know. of, 
American, yeah, <laughs> Southwest type mm-hmm. ter- terrain, maybe Midwest or South Southwest type okay. motifs, you know, kind of tombstone-y. So, man, the guy who I felt like had the largest change from the last episode was Ford. In the last episode, we had him acting like he was just going to make Cullen piss her pants on cue. <laughs> this time, I felt like he was scrambling. Like, I felt like he was searching for information. I felt like he was kind of anxiety ridden like he he got Dolores it seemed like the kind of thing where you know in in stories where there's this fellow person who had something to do with a with a bad deed that happened and it could be a ton of years later but they're the person who you when you need to sort of have that that venting of like guilt or whatever you need to sit and talk with them and like review the events like we all had to do that right we all had to had to be a part of that whatever that was and it's in lots of stories lots of stories remember veronica mars the movie they just did it but like shallow grave that's a great one where it's like the anxiety and the guilt and the and the needing to like talk about it again you know go Mm -hmm. over the events again and i feel like ford was like really doing that with this entire episode, why he reached out to go find Man in Black. He needed to keep like re-addressing all the issues that have happened in the past. Well, he starts with old Bill. Yeah. And he talks about... Talk about addressing the past. And he's... This story is clearly some... Meant, meant to be like an allegory kind yes. of thing. But who do you apply it to? The Okay, so the story is, if, just to recap... He had a greyhound when he was a boy. They let the greyhound off the leash. Well, first he was warned. He was warned. Right, never let the dog off the leash. This was a powerful dog, and don't let it off the leash. They do, finds a cat, destroys the cat, and now that he's destroyed the cat, he, he felt like the dog was lost, that he didn't know what to do because he was only meant to ever chase the, well, you know, greyhounds chase the rabbit, Rabbits. but... Whatever it was, he was only ever meant to chase it. He was never meant to actually get it. Sort of like the idea of Wiley Coyote catching the Roadrunner. What would he do then? <laughs> right. There <laughs> you know? wouldn't be any other episodes, right? Like they'd be like the end because that was the whole thing was just the was just the chase. So I, for me, I applied it to Ford. I mean, I thought that he was saying that he had he had this huge idea and it was a powerful idea maybe with Arnold I don't know at the time and they kind of let it off the leash on accident at some point it didn't it got too far it went too fast it caught what it was what they wanted it to catch but then it was sort of like oh crap like we're like destroying this in some form or fashion and then and now what what am I supposed to do now and now he's like spending his time like destroying the hacienda and all that kind of stuff like he just doesn't seem he seems like purposeless again well, i was thinking of it relating to him being the, the third or first or second whichever order you want to think but the third character mentioning the theme of not being content with your lot in life because he mentions to dolores that that's something his father tried to force into him and now here he's created this whole world as if to say his own world that's his quote. I yes. created my own world. Exactly. So is he applying the allegory to himself? So he's created this world. He achieved this one goal. 
and now he's bored. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I kind of took it. I kind of took it like, guys, you remember like from um, Tommy Boy when he's like, this is my little, my pretty little pet. And then he's like, and then I touch it and I stroke it and I like rip it all apart. You know, uh-huh. it's kind of like that. He wanted to do this and there was all this power, this idea of, of life and like creating life in some way. And it was really powerful. And then it, he's kind of destroying it through his actions right now. We're kind of like mid greyhound on cat, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. I mean... I, I took the the whole analogy of the Greyhound a little bit differently. I mean, I like I like this this purpose driven and all of that, but to me it seemed especially the fact, you know, using a Greyhound where they're muzzled all race long, you know, their whole life they're trained and they never they never get to keep it, they never get to do anything. And you even use the phrase take and then they finally took off the leash. So it goes to the nature of the animal. You know, when when he finally did catch it and he destroyed it and everyone looked shocked, no one should have been shocked. This was the nature of the animal. The same way as they created this park, they they created this world and they let humans in to then go live out their dreams and have their search for their purpose, but they're still human. Right. And so their nature comes out. No and one no one's watching. Exactly. So. <laughs> and so and so now here comes the whore fucking and you know the, the senseless killing and 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 every every little deep dark secret everyone likes to pretend they don't have. Let me throw this one out there too. So I like that. So I like that it could be so do you think the greyhound in that case represents humanity? Easily. Okay, so then what about this one? What if because greyhounds run in a loop mm. and they only run in a circle mm-hmm. and that's their whole freaking thing. Mm-hmm. And when you let it go on its own, it freaking implodes. It destroys its old world. Because I assume they either killed the dog or the dog didn't get to live with the family anymore, but his own little dog world was exploded. Mm-hmm. So what if the greyhound then represents, say, Dolores and you ran your loop, you ran your loop, you ran your loop, and now somehow you've been let off your leash somehow is this only going to lead to destruction and insanity and are you going to sit there bewildered like the mm-hmm. like the greyhound when it all falls out and you're like uh did no one expect me to do that <laughs> uh-huh. like what does that mean so i don't know so could the greyhound be a host or somehow being on being on the loop it could be both i, I mean quite easily all, considering sure, the right? hosts are have been programmed trained from day one to be as much like a guest as they can be you know, it, it it truly is, you know, to program a robot and a truly human robot, you have to understand humanity. And I think that you guys are right that I think that there was that sense of like Arnold thought humans, I think, like you said, mm-hmm. were, were better, yeah. were better, like a higher quality exactly. existence than I think Ford does. I think Ford totally gets and sort of embraces the the schlockiness of humans and like oh you're just going to be swarmy and gross and of course you're let's add more horrors add more <laughs> horrors right that's kind of like fine with him but like if you think about it then the greyhound a little bit could be representing sort of like both of them in that moment when they when the boys let him off the leash it's sort of mm-hmm. like let's see what a human would do if we just did let him off the leash you know mm-hmm. so i agree with you very much that it seems like a little like that nature is just going to happen. Very Lord of the Flies, very what happens if you just turn your back? Nobody knows what you're doing. Exactly. What are you doing? One possible Greyhound is Dolores, which mm-hmm. is his next scene, is his interview with naked Dolores. At any point, he is the boss of the whole place. So he could say, you know what, Dolores, what you're doing right now, I don't trust it. And so you're way off your loop. Go home. I'm calling this off. Go home or 
incinerator. Yeah. He like, could do that's any my, of the above. That was my biggest question about this section. And I wanted to ask you guys because I honestly believe that he is obviously suspicious of her. That's why he's asking all these questions. He wants to know, like, is Arnold creeping back? You know, are you hearing anything? Why does he tolerate having her in the world anymore? If he's God, why does he not just smite her and send her packing right to the incinerator or cold storage? Why does he keep her around? It can't just be sentimental attachment because when he answers, are we friends? And, he, and he's like, no, I, I wouldn't say that. It, and when he says, I wouldn't say that at all. I feel like that's, that is the equivalent of saying we're enemies. And I don't think it's like financial, like, well, I have to justify burning a perfectly good robot. Mm. No, you've got your, he if you've been around for 30 years, you've gotten your and investment back. And he just earth back. moved like the Hacienda <laughs> whole place. Come uh, on. So I think it's morbid curiosity, actually. Well, and what's, what's another name for that sometimes? Scientific curiosity. He, uh -huh. He's a scientist at heart. You know, he wants uh -huh. to see how the experiment plays out good or bad whatever it is you know this is this is a true all right we've we've set everything in motion let's see where it goes and then there could be some sentimental attachment to to arnold is arnold still out there in some way i do feel like there's that chess match feeling mm -hmm. of like well i made this move like i somehow i think of course that ford was involved in arnold's death i don't think that that was totally on his own and so then in that case i kind of feel like okay you made that move and then i made this move and even though technically it's a little war games yeah technically death should have ended the mm -hmm. war it didn't and that makes it even more bizarre for for mm -hmm. the whole thing and like like you said who wants to shut that down like what if uh -huh. arnold is trying to peep through Mm -hmm. Oh my God, let's figure out where this is all going to go. Or maybe the maze is specifically meant for Ford. Okay, so let's talk about the maze for a moment. What do you guys think is either in the maze? What are we hunting in the maze? Is everybody hunting their own thing? I'm of that belief. Okay, because I would like to say, if this is a dual timeline, then I'm going to go out here and I'm going to say that I think that if William is truly man in black, then I think that William and... Dolores gets separated at some point here in the 30-year span and early on, obviously. And in Man in Black's whole maze, I think, is to go find Dolores again. Because he says to Teddy, straight out, Dolores, oh, the magic word. Like, and I know it's supposed to be Teddy's magic word, but I do think that if he's William, Dolores would be his motivator. He would be, she would want to find her again. And maybe that's why Ford doesn't take her out of the commission. Maybe that's maybe that's a rule amongst them is like, you can't take her out. I'm going to find her again. And you were saying about how Teddy could be Wyatt and Wyatt is the ultimate evil in the game to the man in black, the rival. Yeah. Everybody must have their own maze. That's all I can figure. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I definitely think that Dolores's maze, I don't think is William. And so I feel like, I don't know, this whole idea that she's looking for freedom feels bad and weird. So I hope that that's What's interesting really about it. the maze talk is, is like, okay, so we know the man in black is looking for the maze to complete the maze. And he believes that doing this is how he'll uncover that underlayer of Westworld that he believes is there that will help him define his purpose right remember in the explanation of arnold's hierarchy of consciousness how that top layer was 
not defined. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder. He hadn't figured it out yet. I wonder if purpose is related to that. I like that. I like uh, that because that does seem to be like everybody's big thing right now is like, what's my purpose in this whole world? Like you know, with it almost seems like sending the man in black and Bernie sending um, Dolores to look for the maze that it's almost like they want to find whatever that other hidden layer is. All of them do like for the man in black, it's the hidden layer beneath the bullshit of Westworld. And for Bernie and uh, Ford, it's finding that top layer of the pyramid. Like, so they're sending what do scientists do? Mm. They send things through mazes. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know? So is she being the oldest? Is she like the oldest rat that's like run it? I think very easily. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's the whole thing is an experiment. And, you know, the fact that the fact that they progressed from animatronic robots to, you know, the cyborg-esque robots we have now is shows that they're continually improving, that they're really trying to further their science and, and do all of that. And in the behavioral aspect of it, I mean, I think that's a that's a great pickup where they're trying to figure out what's that next level of consciousness. You know, how how do we get them one step closer to what we consider human? Well, um, I'm I'm about seventy or eighty percent into believing the dual timeline thing, but I'm still <laughs> looking for things to disprove it. Cause... You're funny. I have zero issue with going with a dual timeline. I'm completely okay with it, and 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 it's fine. I like I like Pulp Fiction. I like telling stories in different ways. <laughs> I'm okay with us simultaneously knowing somewhat of the beginning and somewhat of the end. I'm good with all that. I just need more than that. Then if they, if they Mm -hmm. were going to unwrap the present and slam it down episode one via the internet and like these kind of like secretive kind of like, Oh, maybe I should look at the logos. If you're going to do that kind of crap and not just let us as the audience organically sit, think and talk about what could be happening. Don't give us clues before the episodes have even begun. (laughs) Like that just feels like, Right. The clues should be there in case we fall behind yeah, your like you expectations. Yeah, you can go find the clues, but just putting them out there, just tweeting. And then the, the really, the now it's becoming kind of like a political circus of like, do you agree with it or not? Are you a dual timeline or are you not? Like, oh my God, how divisive. It's the fifth freaking episode. It's funny. Let's enjoy the story a little bit. They wouldn't have written for their own game makers to have sent a clue in that early. <laughs> You're exactly right. It is. It goes against oh, like yeah. so much of this. You're right that they would have said that's a bad narrative. Like that's lame. People want to go on the journey themselves, right? Isn't that what Ford said? Mm-hmm. He said to Sizemore, you don't tell them what the journey is. They need to go on the journey themselves and figure out what the journey is. Well, my God, did they just not tell us what the journey is? Psst, look at the logos. <laughs> I hope not. I really hope not. I really hope that they're that maybe this is a distraction from some other cool stuff that is going to come up. And maybe they're they're keeping us looking and studying for this dual timeline in a way that we're not going to see some other big secret that's a bigger payoff. Just slap us in the face. Now that I've thought about this a lot, I have much higher expectations given the pedigree of the people creating this. So I better see, like, the last episode, it's revealed that everyone's dead except for Dolores. (laughs) And she's just been wandering around Westworld alone this whole time. That's what you want it to be? I need something to that level. Yeah. Okay. And I want something that is not like a wipe your hands, we just exploded the whole joint. I want something more heady. Like I want something that has some layers 
And I would have loved to have been able to organically figure out the dual timeline by us just catching little things along the way rather than it just being dumped in our laps Yeah. so early it's on. much more so, satisfying and thrilling to, to come across it yourself. So I'm hoping, hoping, hoping that they've just planted a bunch of seeds and we're just going to reap all that cool harvest soon. They've progressed the, the storylines pretty quickly. They have. And, and so... I mean, that's something I really appreciate being a, you know, being a fan of Game of Thrones and whatnot. Yeah, I, I'm only a fan because I binge watched like the first four seasons. Okay, so. so but question mark, do you remember like last time, Adam, when we talked about the idea that the last episode kind of felt like a setup episode, like everyone just kind yes. of got in place? Yeah. And we said that really reeks of a binge watch show. Mm -hmm. So then are they kind of setting us up for like, uh, we know everyone's not going to watch this as it's coming out. We mm -hmm. hope you enjoy it as a binge watch next year or something. Yeah. Is that what we're getting here? They still owe the people that pay. And we watch <laughs> weekly and wait. Sure. Yeah, they still owe that audience first, I think. I, I can honestly say I'm not disappointed right now. I Like I was just saying, I mean, it, they have given us a lot of steps forward fairly quickly, you know, compared to, to other shows nowadays and all that kind of stuff. I mean, in only five episodes, we have gone all the way from, you know, just a, a guy on a bachelor party weekend on a train to you know, fully involved. He's he's grown as a character pretty tremendously. Now he's in this game and he's found, you know, uh, I guess you call it a love. I don't know what the what, what a love bot <laughs> really, Android really gets. Love. Exactly. Um, you know, terminology to use there. But but then, you know, a whole string of other characters and other other lines and other questions have come up. Ooh, wait, can I stop you right there at that at that robot love? Mm -hmm. Uh this just goes to like how narrow-minded we are. Maybe in the real world it's completely acceptable to have a robot wife or a robot husband. Like maybe he actually could leave Westworld. Like maybe they could get married and they could leave in some form or fashion because we don't know. We do not know how this world works. Maybe people do have android spouses. Stick well, that in your pipe. That's the dream, I suppose. Oh my god, for all of us. Did you see Bart? Bart? The bartender? <laughs> well, I think we're done for the week. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. You can catch us on our website, dailyreview.com, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, at our house. Or that with th Adam. Those are the places. Those are the only places. We love to get listener feedback, so hit us up on all our different outlets. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening, pot people. Thanks for listening to my mom and dad. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Just go home, folks.